Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. You want to know what I think your purpose is? It's obvious. You're here along with the rest of us to speed the entropic death of this planet, to service the chaos. We're maggots eating a corpse. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Decoding Westworld, a podcast about the HBO original series Westworld. I'm David Chen. I'm Joanna Robinson. Welcome to the show. What we do here on this podcast every week, we recap the latest episode of Westworld. We'll spoil everything through this week's episode. We will not spoil anything from future week's episodes, and that includes anything on the next time on preview for the show. This week, we'll be discussing season three, episode six, entitled Decoherence. You can find more episodes of this podcast at decodingwestworld.com. Email us at decodingwestworld at gmail.com. Before we get into the recap of this week, we usually like to spend some time talking about follow-ups from last week, emails that you sent to decodingwestworld at gmail.com. So, Jonah Robinson, let's get into it. Uh, You wanted to follow up something about Stubbs' shoulder from last week's episode. Yeah, actually, I think from two weeks ago, we were sort of like, what is with this part where Stubbs is awkwardly saying, like, I injured my shoulder on that swim to shore, etc. But uh, that is because I had missed the fun fact that uh, Liam Hemsworth, like, seriously hurt his own shoulder in real life uh, in real life. And so they had to write that into the script. And so I think by the time they did... Um, the fight in the party, by the time they filmed that between Dolores and Stubbs, I think he had already had surgery at that point. But, you know, there's just there's just some stuff in this season where if you see if you see Stubbs favoring a shoulder or uh, maybe plot stuff that doesn't make sense around that, that's because they're compensating for a real life injury. So mm. I forgive you. <laughs> because the show had sinned. With that little piece of exposition, right? It was waiting for my forgiveness. Now it has it. So. All right. Well, I'm glad. Uh, okay. This email comes in from Tal Netanyahu, who writes into decodingwestworld.gmail.com. Uh, Longtime listener of your pods, and truly the only reason I convinced myself to tune into season three of Westworld was because I knew I could listen to you recapping it. So thanks for the great content. I wanted to discuss Rehoboam in continuation of your discussion over the kings of Israel. I am an Israeli Jew, so imagine my surprise when hearing this name and figuring out who it was referring to. Uh, The Hebrew name is pronounced quite differently. I loved Dave's interpretation regarding the naming scheme, the kings with the power of God never being able to measure up. Then comes the question, were they just stuck with the lesser-known cumbersome Rehoboam because they had previously mentioned Solomon in the show and they needed the next descendant? (laughs) I'd like to offer some additional context because I think it might give you a different perspective. Rehoboam is infamously known as the king under which the, the kingdom was split into two. Political unrest led to two kingdoms being formed, Judah, which remained in Rehoboam's control, and Israel, which was taken over by an insurgence led by a dude named Jeroboam. This was a turbulent time in ancient Israel, a civil war of sorts. Even the name Jeroboam means strife amongst the people. It's possible that this name actually hints at the events that are about to transpire, the impending doom of this dynasty's reign, the outsider leading a revolution that splits humanity. Rehoboam might be the one that flies too close to the sun 
costing his kingdom's stability, end quote. Uh, I, I have no comment on that except a great reference, you know, and, and hopefully uh, we're not wasting our try- time trying to extract some meaning out of these names. Right, Joanna Robinson? <laughs> I mean, listen, uh, you know, find meaning where you want to find meaning. Um, but Jonathan only gave an interview uh, where he, he talked about how the um, – the names, uh, these Kings of Israel names is not actually a reference to the Bible. It's a reference to a 1969, a slightly more recent book, a 1969's uh, Stand on Zanzibar. Uh, he told Insider, as a quote, I spent nine years in Catholic school, but I'm ashamed to say it was actually nothing to do with the biblical reference. It's what? an homage to a book called Stand on Zanzibar, which is a seminal piece of science fiction, an absolutely terrific and frightening book. That was a period in science fiction when we got out of utopian science fiction into much more frightening imaginings about where the world might take us. In that book, there is an AI owned by the General Technics Corporation called uh, Shalmanazir. And Shalmanazir is literally in the lobby of the General Technics Corporation, an idea that I love. That's the reason why Rehoboam is in the lobby of Insight. Um, and so Shalmanazir is the real name of an 18th century king of Assyria and Babylon. So, um, you know, I love what everyone's theories on what the, uh, what the king names meant though. And I don't think we need to throw those out just because that's not exactly what they were going for. (laughs) I I, I mean, I was in complete disbelief when you texted me this information. It's because it's not like Rehoboam is a common name. You know what I'm saying? It's not like. Oh, they were referring to a, the other Rehoboam, you know, like, it's just like, okay, I guess um, it's not really about the Bible then. All right, that's fine. Uh, but yeah, that that shattered my world. I mean, it's just, it's it's kind of a nuts thing to do in a season that, that spends every episode <laughs> pondering the nature of what is a God, did human create a God, you know, blah, 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 and then be like, oh, we've taken these very specific biblical names, but they're not, it's not about them. Don't worry about it. It's not about the Bible. So, I don't know. Uh, yeah, so that is that is where we find ourselves here uh, at the top of, of this episode. Um, I am not going to read this book, but uh, if one of our listeners wants to, has or wants to and has added insights um, from the 1969 book Stand on Zanzibar, then uh, please let us know. You're, you're you're not willing to read the book for the sake of the podcast, John Arbison? Not this one. <laughs> <laughs> Hardcore sometimes, 60s sci-fi is not my genre, so uh, yeah, no. Sometimes I question your commitment to Sparkle Motion. That's mm. all I have to say. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay. Anyway, uh, we got one other email. This one comes in from Michaela R., Michaela R. writes into decodingwestworld at gmail.com. Uh, I was looking at Insight's website to read about the virtual assistant Dolores uses. Let me just pause there for a second. Love that Michaela's checking check in Insight's uh, website on the reg, you know, as you do, which uh, is oh. cool. <laughs> What'd you well, say? There's, well, there's a whole layer of Westworld fans, the Redditors, who are like forever. They're like one one digit changed in the coding of this one thing on because there's like there's the Dallas uh, website, there's an Insight website, there's there's just like a few things that they that the Westworld team loves to play and manipulate. So anyway, uh, and, sorry, and let me just say when yeah. we refer to those people, like I, I actually refer to them with admiration because it's like yeah. that's I I just don't have the patience for that. Absolutely. You know? If yeah. I if I did, I can imagine diving because there's there's a joy to be found in reading something that's super custom 
that very few other people are going to read. It's not like there's like millions of people playing, you know, like reading the Insight website. You know what I mean? At least I don't think so. Maybe there are. Maybe everyone is really hardcore into it. But um, these are all clearly uh, components of Westworld Westworld's marketing that were uh, deliberately built and have a purpose to them. And um, so I, I can imagine the thrill of uh consuming that stuff but it's just it's just i don't have the patience for it myself so anyway just wanted to just wanted to clarify we are not mocking we are we are merely admiring and there's the insight website is how i found out that you know how like Rachel wood is wearing that kind of cool um cuff on her ear Mm -hmm. uh it looks like you know like an earring like a bit of jewelry um on the if you go on the insight website there there's like a fake page landing page where you could buy that and it's like it's their version of like the Bluetooth gadgets from the early aughts. It's it's a, it's a it's a digital assistant sort of gadget thing. So I thought that was cool. Very cool. Uh, anyway, so Michaela writes last week when I was on the website, it was normal. But when I went to the site today, I got this error notification. I found it neat that the website reflects what's happening on the show and thought I'd sh- share. So then Michaela then shares a uh, an error message from the Insight website. And it says here, sorry, something went wrong. We are experiencing widespread technical difficulties. All of our physical offices are currently closed, but automated customer service representatives are on standby to handle your questions and concerns. Wait times for human callbacks may be longer than usual due to heavy call volume. We apologize for the disruption this may have caused, and we encourage you to remain patient. This changes nothing. We will get you back on your path shortly, end quote. We just thought that was uh, that's pretty cool that the website goes down in real time along with the show. Yeah. A nice little touch. That's very cool. And very I like cool. how like that seems like a very plausible error message that you could get. Yeah. You know, it's like it's like an error message that we're used to, but with a little bit of uh, uh, some sinister undertones to it. You can imagine the PR team uh, having to craft that one or whatever. Indeed. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, can I, can I mention one more email we got that I, uh, Please. that I sort of forgot? Okay. Um, we got this email from Abigail and I won't necessarily read the whole thing, um, uh, because it's a nice long email, but, um, Abigail is sort of underlying, or, or I should say bringing together some minor points we've made into a larger point about, um, maybe Caleb and Dolores being, more connected than we originally thought. You know, when we talked about the first episode of the season, we talked about um, Caleb being on his loop and having, you know, waking up in his routine, all this sort of stuff like that. But this idea of his memory being possibly edited in some way, we don't go back to Caleb in this week's episode, right? So we're still, we have some questions about what's going on there, but this idea of his like memory being altered uh, somehow you know, and and his journey towards figuring out what it is he doesn't remember that he did. Um, that's also very Dolores season one, which I'm not sure we like really fully underlined when we were discussing the revelations of genre. And, um, and so I just like that, that we're watching, you know, someone else on their journey to the center of their own maze kind of thing. Mm. And it's, it's, it's worth, I think noting, um, you know, Abigail's point here, because in this episode, decoherence, uh, we get a, sh- the the maze logo makes an appearance, which is very interesting. So, um, you know, this, this idea of like history repeating, um, yeah. and this time we're watching Caleb go through the same awakening that Dolores went through. Yeah. And there's many kind of echoes of previous seasons. Uh, yeah. This season with Caleb, like lines that Dolores says to Caleb, many of them are lines that were said to her in season one. 
Um, so he's clearly being positioned as kind of it's a it's a reversal. You see, Ooh. he <laughs> is the host now, even though he's human? Question mark. Well, something something Abigail wrote in her email. She said, "Yes, Caleb is human, not a host, but the distinction between the two is now basically non-existent." And then parentheses, she wrote, "If you can't tell the difference, does it matter?" Question mark. And I just thought that, that was fun because that line, of course, is also in this episode. William mm. William says it about something else, but that's a that's a recurrent uh, Westworld question of like, if you can't tell the difference, does it matter? You know, what's the difference between a host and a human? And this idea, we're going to get to it in this episode, but this idea of memory. Memory as it links to identity, which is something we talked about in a big way in season one. And I think it's worth talking about again um, here. All right. Well, let's dive into it. Season three, episode six, Decoherence. Uh, Let's talk about the William storyline in this episode. Uh, We meet William again. You you predicted correctly that we are going to see Ed Harris again in the show. He's in group therapy and he's doing his best Rusty Cole impression from (laughs) True Detective, right? Oh, they should let Harris head Harris grow mustache. <laughs> uh, talking about how you know humanity is the virus and things, <laughs> things are going really badly for us, and uh-huh. how you know, quote unquote, we're maggots eating a corpse. What he says, I didn't, I didn't think of it that way, but I love that. I love that uh, positioning of it. Yeah, that's um, <laughs> yes. Here he is. Here's William. Consciousness was a mistake, Joanna. Out saying. to like ruin. <laughs> A perfectly nice group therapy session. <laughs> <laughs> so then uh, you see him in his doctor's office and he takes off his glove um, and you see that he's missing some fingers. This is from season two when they got shot off, if I recall correctly, right? Mm-hmm. Correct. Yeah. Yes. By Dolores? Am I remembering that right? Yes. Yeah. So then um, he finally has a huge breakthrough in his therapy session. And finally starts confessing. But right around then, don't you hate it when that happens? When a massive data leak threatens to uh, reveal the true nature of your existence to yourself and all of your loved ones? I Uh, hate when I'm having an emotional breakthrough in therapy and my therapist is distracted by her entire life crumbling apart. And I'm like, hello, I was talking. I was having a moment. I mean, Um, I understand why they did it that way because it's like more dramatically interesting. But also, come on, if you're a therapist – Put the thing on silent for your therapy session. That's all I'm saying, right? I think that's yeah, pretty she had reasonable. It, she had it on like um, vibrate. Yeah, vibrate. No, she had it on vibrate. <laughs> you're at inner. You're at inner journeys, ma'am. Uh, this is turn an it off. institution. Hold the um, power button and turn the smartphone <laughs> off. That's all I'm saying. I do want to say, uh, right off the bat, I'm, I'm so excited to talk to you about this episode. Overall, I actually really liked this episode, and uh, this it might be – I'm going to need to think a little mm. harder on it, but it might be my favorite episode of the season so far. So um, I would say solid episode. Yeah. Solid episode. Yeah. V- very little to be angry at in this episode. I don't think it's my favorite of the season because I think season three, episode one, was still just a yes, shot in the that. arm. Right. Yeah, you know, uh, but it didn't quite rise to that level for me. Uh, but sol- solid episode, solid episode. I, I, I think it was largely comprehensible. Everything that was happening and uh, characters behaved in ways that mostly made sense. And thematically, yeah. it, uh, it furthered a lot of the thing, the ideas that the show is trying to get across this season. So solid episode. Fun. Funneled like old faces to see again. Yeah, um, and plus and... a few of the old, a few of the old switcheroos. You know, a few of the old, like, uh, <laughs> pull the rug out from under use. Oh, one of those. And um, 
and I thought the action was really good. Like we we were pretty critical, I think, of the action, like the car chase. Uh, and this this episode, sorry yeah. to, we'll get back to William, but this episode at one point essentially turns into Transformers, and I was sitting there being like, why am I not mad at this? I'm not mad at yeah. all at this. Yeah. So uh, solid yeah. episode, solid episode. Solid. So yep. um, okay. So then uh, what happens? Oh, yeah. They want to try to use like AR therapy on William, right? Um, which essentially is what ends up happening before the doctor uh, or after the doctor kills herself. Because, and the idea being that from what I could make uh, of the phone that she was holding, the device that she was holding, it seemed like the – uh, Rehoboam leak had revealed to her family that she had cheated on her husband a few times. Is that it said, uh, opioid addiction and affairs with multiple patients, I mm. think. Yeah. So her husband, yeah. texts and says like, he's leaving and taking the kids. Don't bother to contact. So she rushes out. Uh, but right. But after she has, you know, assigned William this AR treatment, um, I want to read, uh, really quickly to you what, what William's profile says on her tablet. It says, mm. patient shows signs of depression, anger, sleep abnormalities, delusions and hallucinations, PTSD. Patient appears to be suffering from survivor syndrome and narcissistic personality disorder. So, you know, what better time for a good old MPD uh, than a group session <laughs> with yourself? Um <laughs> I was, just like, I was like, order. MPD. Oh, yeah, you've abbreviated narcissistic personality <laughs> disorder. Nicely done, Joanna. Uh, so. Uh, so anything else about this? He he kind of has uh, – he remembers Emily. He he confesses that he actually was responsible for her death, which is mm-hmm. like good good progress for him. Um, and then anything else we want to say before he gets the AR, AR treatment? Well, I, this idea of memory, maybe, maybe we can – Maybe we should discuss it later, but I, I have it here in the notes because he he remembers Emily and he has a clear memory of Emily. Like he remember he not only remembers their like sort of final chat by the campfire, but he remembers the true version of what he did to her. And this idea of, you know, William having when we saw him earlier this season, just being so uh, in a shambles because he couldn't get a grip on reality and he couldn't get a grip on a, on the proper memory. And this idea of like, if you can't remember something accurately, you can't heal from it. That's something that they talked about a lot in season one. Like how could Dolores heal from her 30 years of trauma if she couldn't remember the wounds that were inflicted on her? Mm. Um, and then, you know, we get, we get his flashback to Emily. We get May's flashback to her daughter, um, later in this episode, they're sort of shot similarly. And, um, and that whole thing, Maeve's connection to her daughter, like that's another thing where it's like, well, she remembers her daughter. So then her daughter is real to her because she remembers her, even though they are like hosts programmed to love each other. What's real, what's programming. If you can't tell the difference, does it matter, et cetera. Um, and I think it just, it all, it brings me back to those season one, like, discussions about Jonathan Nolan's work as a whole. I mean, Lisa joy as well, but like the stuff that, that he did before he started working with her in terms of like memento um, or the prestige and this idea of, you know, if you're not the same person, which is the case of the prestige, or if you can't remember uh, what you just did, then how can you, how can you be a human an authentic connected human in this world sort of thing? Um, yeah, so I just urge us all to like 
keep an eye out whenever we talk about memory in Westworld and how closely it's related to identity and, and the way in which when they strip you of your memories, which is what they've done to Caleb, uh, we think, um, they have in some way stripped you of your identity. Mm. I think uh, the line I remember from Memento the most is he uh, Guy Pierce asks the rhetorical question, how can I heal if I can't feel time? You know, right. Because the idea is that uh, the character Memento, he can't make new memories. So it always feels like the last thing he remembers is the most traumatizing thing that happened to him when his wife was murdered and he was uh, he received a brain injury. And because he can't feel because he can't make new memories he can't allow it to pass um so there's actually a similar monologue uh to that on uh on better call Saul this week oh Uh, (laughs) this is this basically decoding westworld is my stealth campaign to get joanna (laughs) robinson to uh watch devs and better call Saul. (laughs) is what it's working working So anyway, William goes into AR treatment. Um, they put some uh, of his blood. Oh, there's a scene where they like uh, they put the little spidery thing in his mouth, right? Which uh, I guess allows yeah. him to receive uh, <laughs> those thingies. The treatments. Uh, I was like, "What do you mean, spidery thing?" That's because I can only think of it as a retainer. But yes, yes. the <laughs> the the implant goes in his mouth so that they can like dose him, basically, and yeah. is straight into the limbic system, sort of thing. Yeah, uh, and they also put some of his blood into the system, and there's an unknown protein, which you think means something, right? Um. Yeah. At first, I was like, "Oh no, they better not. They better not be doing a whole like is William a host thing." I had a split <laughs> second of terror around it. Uh-huh. Um. And then I realized it's it's a reference to this is the stuff that Charlotte, uh, you know, the the Dolores Charlotte injected in his neck when he was being taken away. And it's a we see later in the Charlotte storyline that this is like a, a protein DNA tracker thing uh, so that she can locate where he is. I have some questions around that, but basically that's what it seems to be. That's like it's a marker, and once they put that blood in the system, then Charlotte can find out like where William is, which we find out uh, is Mexico. Hmm. Sure, why not? Why not? Uh, so then William gets strapped into this chair. They put some AR goggles on him, uh, and you recognize the doctor that uh, gave him the AR goggles, right? Um. Oh. <laughs> He says his name is Albert. It's just the ongoing thing. Like uh, Lisa Joy in season two was like, it's it's a big coincidence that the 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 room where Jim Dello spends all his time, the sequence looks identical to a sequence from Lost because I don't watch Lost, so that's it's it's not a reference to that. And I'm like, okay, but Westworld keeps <laughs> referencing Lost in a way that I'm like, how is anyway? There's a there's a character named Albert, a prominent character named Albert. Um, from Lost, uh, and so when this doctor comes in, he's like, "I'm Doctor Albert." I'm like, "How is this not a Lost reference?" That's fine. Uh, it probably isn't. It's probably a reference to an obscure 1960s sci-fi novel. Um, but anyway, Indeed. just thought about Lost in that moment. Uh, so then, while he's in the chair, he sees kind of a younger version of himself. He's reliving childhood memories. Um, he sees young him reading a book called Sir Rowan and the Lady of Sulon. Uh, Joanna, you want to tell us about this book? It does not appear to exist. <laughs> um, I spent a long time trying to figure out what this book was, uh, you know, because it sounds it sounds like a classic sort of Arthurian night tale right. 
uh, kind of thing. It does not appear to exist. I tried many combinations of Googling. If you look, if you look up Lady of Sulon, sort of like in quotes in a Google search, uh, you get the closest you get is a badly scanned PDF of the Lady of Shalott, which is close to Sulon, <laughs> but it's not the same. Um, so like, honestly, it's one of those weird Google. So, you know, when you search something in Google and like, there's literally yeah. one or two results and you're like, I've reached the end of the internet. What? Yeah. It's like we, uh, we've, <laughs> we have like, we've hidden a bunch of results cause they're not good. Uh, so, so, so here are the three results. Yeah. So that's, that's where I got, uh, with this, which is fascinating. Like it seems to me like they created this whole, uh, story. And then, so then I was trying to like, see if I could glean some meaning and then maybe I'm wrong. So please do write in, uh, if, if you, you know, the tale, a lot of, of lady of Sulon fans out there, that are going to write <laughs> into decoding Westworld at gmail.com. Remember how last week we were saying, please don't write in by the thousands, uh, to correct us. Uh, well, it's you... more like be, be nice when you do sort of thing. <laughs> uh, so if, if this is your favorite tale and I've missed it somehow, please do let me know. But, um, so I was trying to like glean some meaning. It's basically about this like evil queen who attacks someone and with a sword and stuff like that. There's a Sir Logan, which I thought was kind of fun, obviously, because Logan Delos is a character. Um, but all I could think of, there's a character named Briley. There's a character named King K. K K A Y E is, um, you know, Sir Kay is a famous Arthurian figure. He's never king, though. So I don't know if they've, like, created an alternate history of the King Arthur tales or what's happening here. Or they just put a bunch of their friends' names into uh, a story. But uh, it, it appears to be invented. All right. Well, all those Sulon heads are going to write in and prove us wrong. <laughs> Please uh, do. But anyway. So uh, we see his mom and dad fighting, um, and his dad's approaching the the room, and then old William starts freaking out, bites the finger off of an orderly who goes to sedate him. Uh, and then afterwards, we see uh, Jonathan Tucker come to get William. We recognize him from season two of Westworld, right? Yes. I got really excited. I, I, I like, knew him. He, I think he has such a distinctive voice. I knew him immediately when he was still like in the dark. I was like, is that... <gasps> It is. Uh, I was I was a big fan of his like confederado character, uh, like this, you know, colonel or whatever that he played uh, in season two. And it was it's an interesting it's an interesting choice. I, I was thinking I was talking to someone else about like, does the use of his character make sense here? Like basically he's there to let us know that we're already in. Uh, you know, a, halluc- a simulation of some kind. Um, but I'm like, well, what's the connection for William? And I think probably, you know, everyone's schedule and budgets willing or whatever. This would probably have been like Lawrence, maybe like someone with like a little bit more connection to William. But I'm not. I'm never mad to see Jonathan Tucker. So curious. So he leads William into a group therapy session with himself and James Dellis. Uh, we see uh, baby William. You've, you've called him baby William, but he's really like – he looks like he's 10 or something, right? Yeah, I was just trying to distinguish him from young William. Yeah, young William played <laughs> by Jimmy Simpson, yeah. man in black William, philanthropist tuxedo William, and present-day William in white along with uh, James Dulles played by uh, – Peter it? Mullen. Peter Mullen, right. The, yeah. the great actor Peter Mullen. So uh, they essentially have a dialogue about the, – the, the thrust of the dialogue as far as I could make out was they're talking about whether he was always predetermined to, to get to this point, right? Like did he, did he have a choice in who he became? Right. Is that, is that what you took from it as well? 
Well, it's an examination and this is, this is like classic therapy. So this, I think this treatment actually works. Um, this AR treatment, um, having, having tried it many times. Yes. Uh, having jammed a retainer into the roof of my own mouth. Um, yeah, no, this idea that like this, this story we, William has told us about himself is that he was just like a young, shy, bookish boy. Uh, what a nice boy he was, a self-made man. And that when he entered the park, he was just a nice young man. And that it was the park and the game and the Dolores of it all that set him on the path of violence. And uh, this session really roots into that. And, and we we re-examine that childhood and we see that he was like breaking arms of bullies uh, in school that his father, yes, might've been an alcoholic, but apparently drank because he didn't know what to do with his like, you know, potentially sociopathic son. Um, And then, you know, you've got the younger William played by Jimmy Simpson being like, I was, I was a nice guy before I went to the park. And the other one is being like, really? And then you've got philanthropist tuxedo William, who was like, listen, I, I was able to funnel my baser instincts off into this man in black William. So like, I'm a good guy or man in black William being like, I'm a good guy because uh, I only hurt hosts. And there's challenges for all those narratives in here and it's just sort of like no (laughs) like no version of William ever had his hands clean basically um and so then what does it mean for our present day William to then kill those versions of himself um which he does in a kind of fun I love this whole I love all of this William stuff. The mm. it looked really good. All all the Ed Harris is talking to each other. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Love to see Jimmy Simpson. You're excited to see Peter Mullen. Love to see Ed Harris beat up on Jimmy Simpson. <laughs> like, it had something just... for every, it had a, a bit of the it had some great character actors and a bit of the old ultra violence. So <laughs> Yeah, there it is. Yeah. But one of the most compelling ideas from the whole show is uh, was brought up by Anthony Hopkins character in season one. Of how yes, hopes are, hosts are on their loops, but uh, what many humans do is also predetermined by their circumstances or their genes or any other number of physics, you know, any number of other uh, matters, and and that humans in many ways are just passengers, you know, like we don't really have any control over our fate, uh, but we experience uh, what it is like to go through life in our bodies as passengers you know just like riding along and we can't really control where things are going but uh, we experience it as though we do uh and that idea comes back again in this episode uh when he is asked like were you just a passenger um or did you actually have control over what was going to happen to you so love that idea which by the way and I, I this this will literally be the last time I mention this. It was also <laughs> explored really in depth in the show Devs, which actually had its series finale this week. And uh I thought it was very thought provoking. So anyway. Yeah, uh, no, and it, it's interesting because um there's that notion. There's the season one idea that Logan, of all people, um, I think was fond of repeating, which is like the park has a way of just showing you who you are, unlocking your true self. So William would have us believe that the park twisted him into something. And and Logan's theory, and I think the theory that we land on this episode is like, no, actually, it just showed you who you were all along, um, which not, is this kind of like violent, sadistic dude. Yeah. Not to get all sociopolitical on you, but I think one thing I've been reading a lot and thinking about a lot lately is how these uncertain times that we're in, 
which is how mm. commercials refer to it. Although in reality, it's this coronavirus pandemic that we're part of. Uh, kind of helped to reveal who America is, you know, and all the things that during boom times we can look away from. And yeah, like, yeah all, all these like structural weaknesses that we don't think about, uh, things are going well. We don't need to think about them. Um, and now we do need to think about them. And it's like a, it's like a way of revealing who we really are as a country. So anyway, don't don't want to get I know people like watch Westworld and listen to this podcast to get away from that stuff, probably. But you know, it's uh, it's been on my mind a lot lately. So, yeah, it's um, I, I think I think that's that's true. I think that's a really good point. And and this, the I mean, like I'm trying to think. Like, does William accept this truth about himself? Because I think it's true. Does he accept this truth about himself that he was always had this darkness inside of him, um, and is accepting that like you know is murdering all these other versions of himself a uh, a breakthrough is it like it doesn't matter it doesn't matter who i was and that's that's sort of literally what he says right you know and he's like um it, it doesn't matter who i was or whatever i finally understand my purpose i'm the good guy um <laughs> and, um i, I mean, don't know I you, you like, can interpret it a couple different ways right yeah, you could interpret yeah. it as he is killing all these past versions because he does not want to believe that his actions are dictated by um fate or determinism or you could interpret it as um hey uh <laughs> hey like it it is just fate and determinism stop making me think like i actually have a choice in this matter uh i don't know if that makes sense but th- that's kind of how i see the two options yeah uh <laughs> i wrote down a um a a non a, qu- a quote from a non controversial Star Wars film. Oh. Uh, th- that's a joke. There's no such thing. Uh, which is, <laughs> let the past die, kill it if you must, or kill it if you have to, whatever that is. But that's that's sort of what it is. It's just but Joanna, like... it was the villain that said that quote. Okay, anyway, <laughs> we're not gonna get into it. Um, but <laughs> you know, this this is the thing. Is like he's got a um, or or uh, or tease a Game of Thrones quote: "Kill the boy, let the man be born." Like, um, just sort of. Uh, Yes. Okay. It's it's important for him to acknowledge these things, uh, and then go forward to his next purpose. And we don't find what that out what that is because he's interrupted in his revelation by Bernard and Stubbs. They Bernard wake him up. Bernard Bernard's like looking really here. spiffy. He he, he he looks like he's in a different outfit than last week. Although I don't know if that's the case, but he looks like. I mean, like that first shot of Jeffrey right, like like leaning over him. I was like, I don't think he's ever looked that handsome ever and he's always looked very handsome he looked shiny uh and new um and then i assumed he must still be in his party party clothes but uh you're right that he had been through like many a fight like that that shirt is so white and crisp uh so anyway the last week we saw that um bernard's bernard saw on the Connell's tablet that inner journeys is one of these red reeducation centers, um, that insight had. And so, uh, they were, they were off on a journey to find that center, uh, which they appear to have, uh, which put them on a collision, co- like crash course with William, which, you know, we should note, this is Dolores's, all of this is part of Dolores's big plan, mm. right? She put William there, there specifically. She put him where she knew, like, was a point of maybe vulnerability for Sirach. So she's got, you know, people already inside there. And they may not be people who are friendly to her, 
but they are people who know her and they're inside this institution that she wants to, in theory, get inside of, you know? So, um, so maybe they'll be activated next week. We well, but not, I mean, that's a big question. It's the constant question I have. And whenever I have like a, uh, logic gap in this episode, uh, cause there's a couple of them, I'm like, is it sloppy writing <laughs> or is this a Dolores master plan? That's my big question all season. Whenever I see something where I'm like, is this sloppy writing or is there some big plan that Dolores has cooking that will be all will be revealed to me? I'll bring this up again when we get to it. But, um, you know, this at least yeah. feels part of the the big Dolores plan. Whatever. I, I have a point related to bring up to that, but let's wait a little mm-hmm. bit. Um, okay. Let's ta- let's first thank all the people who donated to this podcast via our Kickstarter. Uh, Joanna Robinson, you have some names to thank. Yes, I would love to thank the folks who helped make this possible. Uh, Rhett Mitter, Caleb Masters, Kip Palalis, Darcy, Aaron Sines, uh, Brandon Lem, Simon Coggy, uh, and that's it. And thanks to Danish Syed, Linda Abley, Matt Klein, Tyler the First, John Berry, uh, Josh Parham, Carrie King from Pittsburgh, Alex Radovich, Alex Radovich, mm-hmm. uh, Peter Branham Lefkov, and Maddie K. Ray. Uh, Maddie K. Joanna is the best Ray. I don't know what that means. <laughs> I know Maddie. Thank you, Maddie. Oh, okay. <laughs> I should have given that to you. So that is all of the names yeah. of people. Well, of people that actually uh, g- responded to the survey and gave us their name. Oh, okay. Um, so there are like a like a, maybe a dozen or so people that didn't do that. Uh, if you didn't do that, next week I'm just gonna like because when you sign up for Kickstarter, you have to list a name. Um, so next week, I'm just going to go through the names that people gave unless they actually submit their names sometime in the next week. But yeah, um, so uh, uh, just FYI, if you haven't submitted a name, you can do so in the next week. Otherwise, uh, I'm just going to read off what Kickstarter has, and that is going to complete the delivery of this reward. But we want to thank you all again. Uh, I'm having a lot of fun recording this podcast with Joanna Robinson, and it's because uh, all you Kickstarter backers donated to make it happen. So thank you so much. Yeah, and thank you to the folks who've gotten a few folks reach out saying they missed the Kickstarter and they're so sorry and they wish, you know, like, don't don't worry about it. But thank you so much. Thank you <laughs> Yeah, for that's so nice to hear. That's very, it's uh, very lovely. Yeah, it's very but, sweet. But don't worry about it. Just enjoy. Just enjoy. Just let it happen. Just enjoy it. Yeah. Let it wash over you like, an, like, a, like, a, <laughs> like a free podcast. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> anyway, uh, we opened this episode with Maeve. Uh, and Maeve wakes up in a simulation of the Sublime. You know it's a simulation because A, it looks like a simulation. B, there are letterbox bars, uh, which is how the show has denoted that this is a simulation. Um, and uh, Vincent Cassell's character, Sirach, essentially says, hey, don't you want to be here with your daughter? And if you do, then you better do what we say. And she's like, I need some help to, to accomplish your mission. Uh I know I'm summarizing this extremely eloquently. Joanna Robinson, is there anything you want to add here? No, I just got really excited because I was like, oh, more more people are going to come back. Uh, that's really exciting. Uh, you so know, because, I, I, yeah. yeah. Also, uh, Sirach says that if she fails again, her future won't be in bucolic surroundings, which I thought was a great usage of bucolic, a mm-hmm. frequent SAT word. So, <laughs> yeah, but like, what is he promising her? Like, is he going to put her control unit in some sort of like eternal hell? <laughs> she is. He's going, he, he's going to put her in Lake of Fire World, which we haven't yeah. actually seen yet. 
she um, is going to like have a Sisyphean sort of like afterlife. Uh, so yeah, I don't know what he's threatening her with, but it's not a good time. So, you know, I guess she so, has more motivation here. Yeah. So the last time we saw Maeve, she was bleeding out in a uh, Japanese host goo factory. <laughs> so the idea, the idea then is that Sorok or Sorok's people recovered Maeve's pearl right. and placed her into a new uh, situation, right? Um, right. The, so the letterbox appears. The letterbox format is how we know we're in a simulation, right? And so as soon as like Maeve wakes up in the sublime, she's uh, in an, in back in the simulation or in a new simulation. And, uh, you know, at one point later in the episode, she, you know, because she can see through the simulation to like the lab or whatever. And she's like, we're home, meaning she means, I thought she meant the park, but she meant Delos. So I, I assume he had her like hooked up to a portable little machine on his little airship. Uh, as he's been flying around, he's just had Maeve on his airship in the back. Um, so he plugged her in a simulation, uh, and then she just killed a bunch of Nazis. Cause that's, you know, just to warm herself up. Yeah. Just She's for funsies. Like, yeah. You know, for shits and uh, giggles. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, yeah. But, uh, so I, uh, to me, this defies the whole, like, she's always been in a simulation, but, you know, people are going to insist that that's true up until the bitter end, so that's fine, you know. Well, but. what's, what's, uh, I, I think what's confusing to me is, I guess she's at Delos headquarters, right? Like, was she? In the trans- end. In the end, how, when was she transported there? Well, that's uh, what I'm saying, like, I feel like, so she's in the factory, yeah. uh, and then Musashi and, and et cetera run away, because Sorok's men are coming. So they collect the pearl. They leave the body. They burn the body. Who knows what they do with the body? It doesn't matter because uh, she gets a new body by the end of this episode. Right. Basically, they put her – they have two options – three options, I guess, of where they could put her. They could put her in the old compound that uh, Sorak had that we saw earlier, right? Um, Which I thought is what happened because mm-hmm. Lee Sizemore shows up and he's like, was I supposed to go back to work after I realized it didn't exist? So I'm like – Oh, she's back at the old simulation? Well, uh, a simulation feels incredibly portable. So I think she, right? It's a simulation. I guess. I mean, it looked like there was a massive infrastructure keeping that simulation alive with like cooling (laughs) units and everything. Anyway, okay. Yada, yada, yada. She's she's, she's in transport. Like what, before we see her um, like hooked up to Delos uh, headquarters in this episode. She's basically in transit from, so presumably, like I said, he has some sort of portable simulation, uh, a portisim, basically. Yeah. 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 A good old portisim that he has plugged her into. I, I think on the ship, on the airship. Um, but like, why and, do that? I guess, as opposed to just carrying the pearl with them. Any, okay. Anyway, to get her sim <laughs> juices flowing. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. It was, uh, it was confusing. I thought, but so he could plug himself in and threaten her in the sublime. Maybe. Yeah, I don't yeah, know. I get, but, um, but then why put her back into war world? Okay. Anyway, yeah, no, 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 no. The, the returning, <laughs> the, the returning is a little sloppy. Like, and and not just because I had been like, well, that's the last we'll see of Lee Sizemore and Hector on Westworld. And yeah, Westworld. It, it was a lovely <laughs> ending for them, too. <laughs> yeah, they're like, oh, we're back. You know, Lee says to her, I didn't expect to see you back here. And I'm like, neither did I, actually. But um, by the way, where is here? OK, anyway. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I, lo- I mean, I guess I'm so pleased to see like uh, self-aware simulation yes, size more yes. uh, that I was like not upset about it. And um, but you're questions are 
Correct. I, I started trying to figure it out, and then I'm like, you know what? This is pointless. Like, I'm not yeah. going to. It's not. There's no point in doing this. Point. Like the ultimate thrust is. She ends up back at Delos. They're trying to recreate her body and Hector's body and her other friends, right? And then um, it doesn't quite work out. Uh, is 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 basically the the broad strokes of it, right? Yeah. No. I mean, this is the same simulation as before. I think it's a little sloppy to come back. The same way I thought it was a little sloppy for Bernard to return to the park at the beginning of this season. Um, but uh, you know, essentially, she's back in War World. Um, she's there to pick up. Hector and two other mystery allies. Um, and Hector is the one that's like copied over the quickest. So that's why he shows up um, in this scenario. Right. So I guess like the world world that she's in is some kind of uh, construct of you know where she can get other hosts, right? Simulation, okay. bro. <laughs> but, um, then yeah. what's the point yeah. of having the separate pearls? Okay. All right. Whatever. Anyway, point being... Uh, it's Maeve, Sizemore, and Hector, right? Yeah. And there is an additional pearl in Ooh. there. Yeah, so they recovered. At first, I thought it was, um, you know, they show us this, like, burned-out pearl uh, thing. And uh, at first, I thought it was um, Angela, because Angela blew herself up last season. So I was like, oh, it's Angela. Uh, but uh, no, it was Connell's, uh, a more recent blown up person. Um, and so they've got a Dolores Pearl. How valuable uh, that they popped in the simulation. And, you know, Sorak does that, it would appear, so that Maeve can interrogate uh, this version of Dolores and try to get some more information on how she can basically track down Dolores Prime. Uh, and what we get out of that is something that I absolutely love, which is a Dolores Maeve scene. We've had so few of those. Uh, so we get a Dolores Maeve scene, a debate about, you know, who's 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 right, who's who's leading the revolution the correct way. Um you know, and in familiar surroundings in, in one of those old basement labs that we've seen, you know, a million times. Uh, I, I, please don't think I'm a perv that I went and double checked this, but uh, Evan Rachel Wood has negotiated herself a longer wig uh, than she had in the pilot in any of her naked interrogation scenes in the first season where, like, you could see her, her breasts and you're like, oh, it's HBO, bro. Uh, she's got a wig now that covers... <laughs> That covers her, uh, and I just uh, that it just reminded me of like Amelia Clark and her like negotiations around nudity as the seasons progressed on Game of Thrones. Um, it's just sort of like as as the female actresses gain more uh, agency, it seems, or more power in their positions, they're like, what if what if my wig were just a little longer? Yeah, you know, what if I did? Uh, I, I did notice it. You know, I didn't. Yeah. I didn't go back and. Uh, check the previous seasons. Oh, um, I did. <laughs> but, like Joanna Robinson did, but I did. <laughs> I didn't, you know, go frame by frame and compare um, whether you could see her chest or not. But I could kind of tell, like, oh, she's uh, tastefully covered in this scene. Right. Um, and so I was like, oh, they probably changed her wig a little bit so that that could happen. And uh, that's totally cool. I don't think you need right. the, I think, well, or, or at least the show has had enough nudity that you don't need more to make the point. Um, not really a theme this season. So like Daryl Hannah's butt in the Disney plus version of splash. She has been covered in hair. Um, 
yeah, and uh, this has nothing to do with covering uh, any kind of nudity. Uh, Rodrigo Santoro, who plays Hector, has this like very fulsome beard. It's even bigger than it was uh, in his previous appearance on Westworld, and that's because the actor was growing it for this Hulu show. When I saw him at the uh, at a press event earlier this year for this uh, show that he was doing on Hulu, uh, it was even bigger than it is in this episode. It's enormous. A great big bushy beard uh, <laughs> is what he, what he was sporting uh, in real life. So that's why Ettore has this like kind of nuts beard and it's funny because i was looking when they go to cold storage to get him um rodriguez and that that figure in in cold storage has far less beard and i was like is that a fake did they see did they like henry cavill cg reduce it like i i i was looking at the beard if you have any thoughts or feelings about uh his beard please please let me know um but yeah so the idea is that they they had to go to the park to pull three pearls out of there. We know one of them was Hector's uh, to transfer over. Uh, and then, you know, uh, they torched cold storage, which is like kind of a shocking thing to behold because that's been a sort of iconic yeah. Westworld location for three seasons now. So Those hosts ain't never coming back. But Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Well, can I just say, and let me just put something out there, General Robinson, which is Sorak is clearly a a villain who has never seen any action movies, Mm. you know, because anytime you hire someone to do something, particularly a wild card to do something on your behalf, like kill this person, stop this person. I'm not going to say it always backfires, but it certainly never goes according to plan. You know right. what I mean? Mm-hmm. Uh, so anyway, it's just <laughs> it's just a ridiculous idea of, hey, this person Maeve, who's tried to kill me, and has by the way shown herself extremely resourceful. Let's give her more resources with which to do her job. Um, but I, I I say this, you know, I don't really have an issue with it. It's just kind of funny. Um, I, I say it, you know, jokingly because it just it just generally doesn't work out that well. You know, I mean, just look at all the Fast and Furious movies. Okay, anyway, uh, so Dolores and Maeve have their big debate about how they should actually go about this. You judge me, but who have you sacrificed for your daughter? 
How many times have you died for her? For you, the once was all it took. You want me to be a saint, but you're no saint. You're not a villain either, and neither am I. We're survivors. Essentially, what's happening is that at the same time that this conversation is happening, real-life Dolores in Charlotte Hale's body is being a terror and rampaging through the Delos headquarters, right? Or is she a survivor? (laughs) Uh, Yeah, sure. Sure, whatever. And uh, she destroys Hector's pearl, right? Which causes him to... Go, system shut down sort of thing yeah right? which causes him uh-huh. to die yeah uh heartbreakingly in Maeve's arms um so she gets two hector goodbyes this season and then yeah, that's okay so let's talk about that can't we yeah um uh, two things about that sequence bother me one i'm frustrated by charlotte who is incredibly competent in a lot of ways uh does a lot of very smart stuff in this episode i'm frustrated by her just like la 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 taking her time crushing one pearl <laughs> and then uh oh we're out of time cuz gunshots ring out and she grabs the you know the connell's dolores pearl and runs um and i'm frustrated by that because this is the second time that uh, you know because musashi being the first that the mave pearl has like survived in a way that it shouldn't so this is a question i have uh bad writing that like charlotte isn't just like blitzing her way around that lab and grabbing all the pearls and running off with them uh she just stands there and slowly crushes hector's pearl Uh, here's the here's the pact that i kind of make with the show general robinson is I, i i basically can't let that bother me because uh, otherwise I'd have to let the fact that Delos' security is so horrifically bad in virtually every season or every every episode bother me. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm just like, okay, it's it, people are going to do weird, stupid things and, you know, you're just going to have to accept it is kind of where – where I'm at with the show at this point. Well, so, uh, but here's my question. I'm, I'm, I guess I'm not there in that Zen state. My question is, <laughs> is it just bad writing that both Musashi and Charlotte, both who are both Dolores, just happen to like at the last second run out of time? Because if that's true, uh, if it's just they happen to be interrupted in their uh, plots to get Maze Pearl then uh, that's what we call plot armor. That means Maeve has p- incredible plot armor Yes. Um, on this show. So if that's what's happening, that's one thing. And pl- uh, plot armor is bad, right? Is, is it bad or good? Uh, I mean, I think it's, it's bad in that, like, I think it's kind of shoddy writing. Yes. You know what I mean? Like, yes. Jon Snow's incredible plot armor or whatever. But, like, uh, conversely... Uh, maybe this is Dolores's plan all along. She's never going to destroy Maeve because she wants Maeve out there. I don't. That was my guess around Musashi. It feels even. It feels less credible now. But like, I don't. I don't know what to tell you. I don't know why she didn't grab those other pearls. And and also the Hector death is is tough because like okay this this feels like this is a final final death for this character. But I feel like I've been told that already on the show multiple times. So um, gonna gonna be hard to bring him back with that pearl completely destroyed it's just you know? dust now but like Maeve screaming about his death is like 
we've watched him die so many times yeah. that it's 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 hard. But um, someone someone pointed out to me that this idea that like okay, but what Maeve just got done hearing uh, is Dolores making some good points about the many time Maeve has expected people to die for her cause, meaning Hector and Lee and some other people, uh, and so maybe she's just feeling the guilt of that more than you know, she has in, in the past because Dolores has woken herself up to the idea that like, uh, you know, you can't, uh, you can't like, you can't call me out and not look at your own behavior, you know? Mm. Yeah. Well, uh, those are all fair points. Those are all fair points. And maybe it's <laughs> going to be revealed that she intentionally kept Maeve alive. Who knows? Uh, but I guess I'm, I'm just kind of like, well, if, if I'm to have any chance of enjoying the show, I just got to let that shit go. That's kind of my, where I am right now uh, with it. So, um, yeah, I guess, uh, you know, in the interest of this podcast, I think we would be letting some, some of our listeners down. If we didn't, <laughs> if we didn't dig into it, it doesn't mean we need, to, it needs to be like a deal breaker for us, but I think we would get a lot of emails with people being like, why didn't you discuss this? You know, <laughs> um, uh, do you want to hear my theories slash maybe kind of informed theories about who else is being printed in that lab. Yeah, so that's a that's th- a question, right? Three new hosts are being printed. We see Maeve emerge and someone is coming out of the goop to join her. Yeah. So like basically Hector's it was Hector, two mis- mysterious people and Maeve, right? Hector, as we know, is now Pearl Dust. Uh Maeve emerges, we see that. And as as her sequence closes, we see a face coming out of the goop and we're like, who's it supposed to be? Uh I actually have the answer to one based on a clue that you gave me earlier this season. What? Do you is that is that do you think that's fair play uh to say? How do you have the answer though? Uh you earlier this season when Maeve was looking for her control unit uh in Sorox Lab, you're like, ah, and that's her host ID number, which they've used before on the show. Oh, so we know. So you use the ID number. Yeah. Get it. Okay, yeah. I think that's fair. Yeah. That's fair play, right? So so, so, so t- basically you saw the ID number on the Pearl in this episode and matched it up with when it disappeared in the past? Yes. Okay, hit hit me. All right, so do we see two well we see we see Hector's ID number, Maeve's ID number, and another ID number we've seen before, and then one that as far as I can tell we haven't seen before. It doesn't mean it's not a host we've seen before, it just means we've never seen their ID number yeah. like on a tablet before. Yeah. I, I so, love this by the way. I love everything you're doing right now. <laughs> okay. Well, I mean uh, what's funny about the ID numbers is they like Hector starts with an H. It's HC in a bunch of numbers, uh, which is weird because his name is Hector Escaton. It's not true that they always line up where the first two letters right. are their initials, but it is in this case because uh, we've seen this uh, ID before. It is CP in a bunch of numbers. It is Clementine Pennyfeather. Oh, uh, shit. Oh, Clementine. So one of those people is Clementine. Uh, I have a theory about the other person, but that a very strong theory, but that's based on a person who was at the season three premiere. So that feels a little <laughs> less fair play. I think I you're don't right know about for that. certain though. I think you're right uh, about that. Let's so hang on I to can... that one. Okay. Um, anyway, I, based on, you know, another... you know, what, you know, General Roberts, let's do this. Let's do this. You give me the name via text and I'll put it way at the bottom of the show notes for this episode. And then, oh. uh, and then, like uh, next week, we'll see if you're right. Is that is that fair, or do you already? Yeah, sure. yeah okay. I don't, I don't. I don't know. I'm. I, I'm not lying. I don't. I don't know for certain. This is, but this is based on someone who's like listed on the cast and was at the premiere. Okay, so if you want to know what Joanna's guess is, 
look at the bottom of the show notes and I'll write like Joanna's guess is blank. Um, and then we'll find out next week if she's right. Cool. All right. And if you don't want to know, then you don't have to because we're not going to say it right now. So in their in their like podcast in their like devices that they click on the episode and look at the show notes, they'll see it there. Yes, that's right. Great stuff. All right. Um, cool. Also, yeah, that's so, cool. That's cool that you got it from the ID number. That's so cool. I know, and you gave me that idea. It, yeah. it, like it never would have occurred to me to look at that, but um, awesome. Yeah. So there's a great. I mean, if you're curious, um, there's a great Reddit post that someone's done where they've gone through and meticulously uh, pulled out as many ID numbers as we already know on the show. It's not that many, but they have like screenshots to go around with them and stuff like that. So I didn't. I thank you. That person on Reddit saved me from having. I just like googled like host ID numbers that we know, and Reddit's like, here you go. Uh, so like, a shout out to that person for helping me with uh, a lot of the detective work. I didn't have to like scrub back through uh, <laughs> uh, screenshots of tablets. Um, but yeah, so Clementine's coming and um, and another person. So Maeve, instead of having three allies in Hector, Clementine, and this other person, she will now have uh, Clementine, this other person, we, you know, and and Dolores lost one of her allies, but she still has Musashi, and I mean, we'll we'll get to whether or not Charlotte is still on her side at the end mm. of this episode. That's a question, you know. Let's talk about Charlotte. So uh, there's rioting in San Francisco. Uh, you note that somebody spray painted the Maze logo on a wall. It's crazy, crazy. What is that doing there? I mean, like we talked about. <laughs> We've talked about the way in which the Insight logo kind of looks like the maze, but this is like the legit maze logo, mm, like mm. Uh, with the little little guy at the center of it. Some guy is spray painting it in gray, uh, green, green is the color, green spray paint uh, on a wall in San Francisco. And I don't know if it's meant to be like Charlotte is seeing it because she's having some kind of awakening uh, or something else is going on, but... So uh, society and the civil order continues to crumble in the wake of the Insight leak. Um, and Charlotte, a.k.a. Dolores in Charlotte's body, uh, is – all she wants to do is protect her kid and her, I guess, ex-husband, ex-boyfriend kind of Her situation. baby daddy. Her baby daddy, right? So she is kind of taking steps to pack him away. And then uh, she heads towards Delos HQ – uh, where apparently Ciroc is now just openly murdering dudes left and right on in broad daylight. Listen, you have to admire the efficiency of these <laughs> gardener assassins. Just <laughs> like dump that guy in a bin and boop, he was gone. Um, yeah, I, I, I think Ciroc. I'm you know, this is a legit complaint. So the others, you know, when I'm talking about, hey, he shouldn't hire a renegade host. I'm kind of joking about that. This is a legit complaint. I think he's actually a little bit too OP, as they say on the internet. Like, I think he's a little too overpowered Mm. um, because he's like, I can make currency drop. I can just straight up murder dudes. You know, I'm a hologram. You know, like, it's just like, I think he's a little bit too overpowered at this point. But that's me. Dolores made multiple copies of herself, given the strategic importance of Delis. There is no doubt one here as well. I want all employees tested for aberrations, memory lapses, any significant deviations from Rehoboam's predictions. No one leaves until then. I'm sure you can handle at least that. Absolutely. If there's a host here, we'll root them out. They uh, murder this Della's board member right in front of her. And, uh, you know, to be fair, 
there are riots everywhere. And so it's like, hey, a, a murder here, a murder there, people might not notice. So that's how he's able to escape undetected. I mean, I kind of agree with you about him being overpowered. But at the same time, like Dolores is so overpowered that I think in order to make this not like a laughable matchup, yeah. he needs to be incredibly uh, you know, LinkedIn. Yes. I think the thing that bothers me, and I, I assume it's going to come up again, but it kind of bugs me every time. Is every time it's like, "LOL, no, he was a hologram." <laughs> yeah, like that, that bothers me a little. Well, bit. Well, it really um, bothered me this episode. Yeah, it, yes, I agree. It it it's was a little bit annoying, but also, hey, fair turnabout is fair play, and it was a nice kind of reversal. Um, I mean, I don't, I don't mind when like it's cl- when he like at the end of last week's episode when he sort of hologrammed into an airplane hangar, um, like I don't mind that he just can pop up around the world as a hologram. That doesn't bother me, but um, the whole like, oh, he got shot. No, he's a hologram thing. I don't know, just not my fave. Anyway, I, I, I want to be a fly on the wall for the conversation Sorak had with with all of his henchmen. And the board members being like, hey, I'm going to be a hologram while you apprehend this person, but you need to actually physically be there. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? When she, well, I mean, <laughs> he's, he's there. He's at Delos. No, I know, but he's not in the actual room. You know what I'm saying? In that, in the boardroom. Yeah, yeah. Right. He's like, hey, oh, yeah. And she might have, I don't know, explosives or gas canisters <laughs> full of shit. But, you know, just like, it's cool. I can be here. You are actually in the room, though. I gotta uh, say, it, you know, if <laughs> if Sorak is gonna outsource his his uh like his goons are erratic at best is my point because like uh, a plus to the Gardner goons right like they did a mm-hmm. great job but the one who like took that like water bottle gas canister device out of her bag with like red lights that were activated and was like <laughs> huh wonder what that is and just put it on the table. Who's that goon? That go- that guy's fired. He's or maybe dead now. But uh... <laughs> he failed out of goon school. Yeah, uh, before he graduated, that, that was the problem. <laughs> yeah, he definitely didn't go to goon university. So um, yeah, <laughs> he, did, he didn't get his PhD in goonology, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah. So uh... <laughs> so what's actually going on here? So basically, Sirak is calling this board meeting to uh, he he's calling people into the accusing parlor where he's slowly going to solve the crime. Right. Oh, El Cuparo is here. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and he says, and, and I will say it was actually a holy shit moment when he actually figures out that Dolores is in Charlotte. You know, I was like, oh shit. Like, I can't believe he figured it out. Um, of course, we don't really see him put the pieces together, but whatever. It's a nice shocking moment. Uh, and then uh, Dolores kind of gasses everyone, and then you you find out that he's in another room, uh, and then that's when she kind of does this prison break from Delos situation, uh, which is actually really well done, and the robot busts through the wall, and it's really really cool, and so love the whole sequence. Anything you want to say about this entire situation here? Um, I think this is great. <laughs> um, it's it's interesting because the the. Re- For this episode to work, we need to have that earlier Charlotte episode. And that er though that earlier Charlotte episode didn't like hang together for me in every single way. Um, I guess I was convinced enough that I believed enough that Charlotte's like loyalties would be split 
uh, in this episode and that she would be frustrated. I mean, they set it up last week with the Connell's uh, Bernard conversation about like when you inhabit someone else's body, like this is all set up, right? Like when you inhabit someone else's body, how do you not start to identify with them? You know, and Connell's is like this loyal company man. Like he's, he'll throw himself on a grenade for Dolores. He doesn't care. But Charlotte is having her own like little mini rebellion over here where she like decides that she can, she can lean in and have it all. She can, she can commit corporate espionage and save her husband and son. There's, there's um, this weird moment when she was calling Dolores in the car and she's like, why did we have to, why must I, why was I designed to feel pain? You know, she's like, why did I, why did we still have emotion? Why did we, why didn't we turn off the emotions, you know? Yeah. And th- I thought that was a little weird just because it's not the emotions that are the problem. It's the fact that you have Charlotte's memories or whatever, right? Like mm-hmm. that you, mm-hmm. that you have become Charlotte in some way. It's not like just the basic idea of having emotions. It's that you're specifically identifying with this one character. So I thought the phraseology was a little vague there. Maybe. I mean, uh, oh, I don't know why my voice just said that. Maybe. But I think I think what's true is that if they like if they uh, turn off their emotions, uh, well, I liked at least I liked Dolores's response, which is like, if we change who we are in order to survive, like, is it even worth fighting to survive sort of thing? Right. Like, why should we have to change who we are sort of thing? Um I think what's uh, one one there's a lot of little details. I just really like Tessa Thompson in this episode, generally, but like very much specifically in this episode. There's the detail of like when Sorak is landing, she's just like um, very subtly like tracing a circle on her sternum mm. where um, Charlotte had you know cut herself earlier uh, in in the season in that like circular pattern. Um, and and this this the the moment she has in this episode where she's like I think I'm afraid I think is something she says to the Jake character you know this sort of like her her balancing that sort of timidity with utter ruthlessness which she ex- exhibits in this episode uh, and then just like a great action set piece for Tessa Thompson the she gets a Captain America elevator fight um, she's just like running around shooting people her like beautiful boardroom ensemble with a cape becomes yeah, this like yeah. cool metallic breastplate sort of actiony outfit just by taking the cape off like it's just uh you know you could like you're like this is a woman who has been working for marvel uh she's she can shoot her way out of a building and i think it's it's believable i mean it's like it's her and this riot robot against the world and and you believe it that she made it out and that she made it all the way back um i also like that when she got shot at the end she was walking as though she were a machine who got shot as opposed to like a human that got shot, you know? Like yeah. I think that's her gait. I think that's, yeah. I think that's true. On the other hand, um, they're pretty inconsistent. Yeah. Agreed. hundred percent. Agreed. What the, what, uh, damage the Dolores, the lore I can take, uh, and what they can't, you know? <laughs> yeah. So agreed. But I was like, Oh, that's cool. That's kind of like, that is how I would expect a robot to behave if it got shot in like these strategic parts. So yeah, I feel like Tessa did some like great, uh, body work. I mean, quick plug. I, 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 you know, I try not to cross pollinate between the podcast, but I've got an interview with Tessa Thompson on my other Westworld podcast still watching this week. Uh, so if you want to hear, some more directly from her you can uh go go supplement this podcast with that podcast but um yeah the uh the the charlotte of it all i think is really convincing her little mini rebellion she's like helping dolores but at the same time she takes that cuff off that cuff bracelet off Mm. that she 
that Dolores gave her that sort of like, uh, I am yours, you are mine. And it just sort of feels like Charlotte was like one last job. I'll do this. I'll get the data out that she wants. I'll get her everything she wants. And then I'm going to take off with my family and this is it. I'm out, uh, sort of thing. And, uh, of course that's not what winds up happening for her. Can I, can I take us on a little digression? Is that okay? Yeah. Oh, please. Have you seen the movie Source Code? The Duncan Jones, uh, <laughs> yeah. Jake Gyllenhaal sci-fi movie. First of all, uh-huh. that is, a, in my opinion, that is a great sci-fi movie. Okay, okay. I, I still really enjoy it. Um, I will say uh, I'm about to spoil Source Code. So if you mm. have not seen Source Code and you don't want to be spoiled, skip ahead by a couple minutes. Um, right. But. What happens is they uh, Jake Gyllenhaal in that movie plays a soldier who is uh, in in a very bad state. Um, he has kind of been injured in war, and they they put his brain into some other dude's body in the past so that he can prevent a terrorist attack. Right is what the plot of the movie is. And at the end of the movie, uh, what he, he ends up happening, he prevents the attack. And then he's like, you know what? I'm just going to go on living in this guy's uh, in this guy's body, because you you find out that essentially it's not a simulation that he's going back in time in. It's actually like they're creating new alternate realities every single time he goes back. Um, right. And so he's he ends up in an alternate reality where he is Sean Fentress. And uh, I actually did a Q and A with Duncan Jones in person when this movie came out, and we uh, he's talking about how. Wouldn't that be weird once he gets home and he needs to pretend to be Sean Fentress like as a whole other human like <laughs> it would it would basically create endless complications because Jake you know, like he has to meet Sean Fentress's parents at some point but he like doesn't know anything about them and you know like there's all these complications that it would create that's kind of what I was reminded of this episode <laughs> the the post ending of Source Code when Charlotte Hale wants to escape with her her husband or her partner and kid it's like okay, that's a nice little dream, but like, eventually he's going to discover that she's a host, right? That's just—it feels like that would be impossible to hide for longer than I don't know, a couple weeks tops. What do you think, John Robinson? Uh, um, maybe, <laughs> but maybe she can hit him with the old. If you can't tell the difference, does it really matter? <laughs> or, it's all the same in the dark, baby. <laughs> or similarly, aren't I actually nicer than Charlotte, though? Uh, which was Ciroc's point. Like, yes. Haha, you you dipped your hand uh, because you called about your son. But that actually doesn't make sense to me because, like, wasn't the whole reveal that Charlotte, like, recorded that message in the park because she, for her son, right? Uh, yes, although, in Ciroc's defense, uh, maybe the message is indicative of her general neglect of him. So... <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> there you go. Maybe. 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 Anyway. Uh, uh, yeah. So. Th- thank you for indulging me in the source code digression. I I, I love it when when you go, Joe Robinson. Have you ever seen? And I don't. I genuinely never know what's going to come. Next. <laughs> <laughs> like a uh, weird gas canister of uh, poison vapor to my head. I would not have been able to come up with source code. Um, <laughs> But uh, Charlotte has stolen um, something they referred to multiple times as host-making data. Mm. So I guess that's sort of like a how-to. And maybe that's a way for Dolores to be able to uh, – like. I'm like, what does she need that she doesn't have? Because she already made some. And maybe it's like because there's that one printer that was back at Arnold's house. She needs like the blueprint on how to build the printers, question mark. You know, because like she doesn't necessarily have a – 
printer in in the the US. Um but anyway, she now has some host making data or maybe it's more important to her that Ciroc not have it, but he already has it obviously because they're printing Clementine, etc. So um they have some sort of host making data and that seems to be part of Dolores's plan, whatever that may be. Also, should we like point out the fact that Ciroc wants to destroy uh the Delos Park? Yeah. I mean he's uh, just like <laughs> all he wants is these hosts to help destroy Dolores, yeah. and then he's like, "You can torch everything else." Yeah, which just I don't, I don't know. <laughs> it's like Joker in the Dark Knight. He's like lighting fire to the pile of money, basically. As, <laughs> as my friend and yours, Joanna, who may or may not be dead now. I don't know if that gas was poison or just knocking people out, but as Joanna pointed out, that's a trillion dollars in intellectual property, bro. <laughs> <laughs> Ciroc, my friend, my dude. I did like the moment, you know, so this is like, this is a take, this is the corporate takeover. He is now, there is no more delight, D- Delos. There's only insight. Uh, but I like the moment when the logos sort of flipped over on all the screens mm. uh, in, in Delos headquarters from Delos to insight. Um, I like that Ciroc dropped a good old, these violent delights have violent ends. Uh, that's, that's always a fun time. Uh, and is there anything else? Oh, well, I we, wanted to, yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Go ahead. I want to talk about world building thing uh, that I thought was really cool. So we see, um, we've seen the uber rich in, um, in this, you know, future, uh, alternate future. We haven't seen like how everyone's living necessarily. Uh, well, I guess, no, no, that's not true. We've seen Caleb. Never mind. Throw that up, throw that point out. But here's the point. Um, Michael Ely's character, Jake, who we wouldn't call like, you know, he's definitely upper middle, uh, if not upper class. Um, but we see his apartment and we see that he has a TV that's oriented horizontally, mm-hmm. which I just thought was like super brilliant. Cause like, uh, all right, this, this is a world in which we've just given over to the phone screen format. Uh, you know, like forget Quibi's need for every shot. To you be mean, able you mean to be or, seen. Or, or oriented vertically, right? Yes, yeah, sorry, oriented yeah. vertically, right? Yeah. And so um, what he's looking at could be – is like a tablet view. Of, but basically in the future, view. Quibi has won the streaming wars is what has happened. <laughs> and, but what's interesting is you know, he's watching the news and it looks like uh, you know, I might be naive. Maybe this is boilerplate uh, logo work. But the sort of uh, – there's like videos of um, – riots is sort of embedded in a larger video of the of the newsfeed that he's watching and uh they have like buttons and comment buttons and share buttons on them that all look like uh to me look like the interface for tiktok but maybe our is the interface for a lot of different like social media sharing things but um the way in which the like the heart and the comment and the share button are all positioned um is the tiktok formation so i'm like oh in the future is tiktok our news provider um i don't know but i just thought that that was kind of an interesting uh you know a bit of work they put into thinking about what watching the news would look like in this future yeah uh really nice touches overall uh i love that they're at the the just the delos location i don't remember what the real life location is but it obviously looks spectacular you know the idea of staging anything even action adjacent to it seems really daunting to me but I thought they did a great job of blending locations together in this episode. So, uh, uh, you know, I'll tell you where they're not. <laughs> and it's Barcelona. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Um, so oh, in Val- <laughs> I mean, that place is in Valencia, but it's supposed to be in San Francisco, Robbie. Um, yeah. yeah, the I, I don't know how they could have surprised me better, but I do think the whole like I can keep you safe, I can keep you safe right before the car explodes, like did set me up to expect that car to explode. Yes. Um, you know, that might not be the case of people who haven't watched nearly the same depressing amount of film and television well, that I have. I, I, here's what I'll say. I didn't expect it to explode at that moment. You know, I'll put, mm-hmm. I'll give that to them. I thought, okay. I was going to say, I can give you, I can keep you safe. I can keep you safe. And then they're going to die tragically like one or two episodes later. That's kind of what I thought. Mm. It reminds me of, <laughs> I'm going to bring up a completely other <laughs> random thing. Okay. 24 season two. <laughs> Uh, I remember watching. There's a scene where Jack Bauer is trying to break out of jail, and I remember hearing the director. I was watching, like, I was so into 24 back then, watching like the special features for 24. And something the director said to me that, uh, not not to me, uh, on the special features that I'll remember, <laughs> is he said, "You know, we've seen a lot of Russian roulette scenes, and like some of them are good and some of them are bad. But one thing you never see is they do Russian roulette, and the guy shoots himself on the first try." And, he, you know, he's playing Russian roulette and then, like, the first guy, you know, shoots himself in the head. And uh, that was, like, a very shocking moment. And, it, you know, I don't know why I thought of it, but it, it did remind me of it when she's like, I can keep you safe. And then literally a moment later, they've exploded. It's like, okay, I thought they were going to last a little bit longer than that. Um, so I did find it sufficiently shocking, Joanna. Um, I was really... <laughs> excited not excited i mean like a, a kid is dead that's not exciting but i was excited to see <laughs> a child has died joanna <laughs> how dare you <laughs> i was excited to see charlotte crawl out of the wreckage and the i it is my fervent hope that that is what te- the tessa thompson character looks like for the rest of the season i think it looks really cool um in this like you know uh arnold schwarzenegger has lost half his face in the first terminator um kind of way and i hope she just looks like this as and then who is she most pissed at uh is she most pissed at Sirac? um is she most pissed at dolores for you know dolores is basically like charlotte wants to get out of there and dolores is like you have to go in there and get this data for me um and like you know in in theory maybe charlotte could have gotten away if she had run then and maybe her the you know handsome handsome michael ely and that cute kid would still be alive mm. um and so is she mad at dolores um or is she more mad at Sirac for being the one presumably to have pulled the trigger here indeed but she she is she does seem pretty pissed so she's pretty mad she's gonna probably end up killing <laughs> someone Hey, listen, maybe she's mad at both of them. I believe that she could have enough <laughs> mad for everyone. Yeah. Um, but, but that's interesting, is, the idea of, like, Dolores going up against herself, you know? That's kind of interesting. I, that's always been kind of interesting to yeah. me. Like, this idea and, – and Charlotte was always the best candidate for that, of, like, if – if one of her versions was going to diverge enough to like be a foe, uh, it would definitely be this version of her. Mm. And, um, yeah, I mean, how well, you know, like, I guess Dolores could print her a new body. Uh, but like I said, I kind of love this. It looks, I think she looks great. Um, and I sort of, uh, expect her to pop up and, and yeah, kill someone in a very brutal way sometime soon. Yeah. We will see who. All right. Mm -hmm. Is that going to bring us to the end? Anything else about this episode? Uh, overall, solid episode. And I like basically that uh, they set up kind of the final. Uh, I, uh, first of all, 
I can't believe that we got no Caleb this episode and there's only two episodes left of the season, right? <laughs> so it's just like, yeah. wow, they really need to tie, and possibly of the whole series, they really need to tie up a lot of stuff in the next two episodes. Um, but I like that essentially they gave uh, both Maeve and Charlotte Dolores uh, some good motivation for the end of the, for the end game. You know, like you understand like Maeve is pissed that Hector's dead and Dolores is, uh, or Dolores Hale is pissed that uh, her family died. And like, uh, it, it all, all feels like very uh, character motivated. Like the motivations seem like they come from the character and not just from, Right. Uh, the script, and so yeah. I like that. I like that. So I, I think it's a good setup for the end game, and we'll and see I if like, they can I, stick the landing. Oh uh, yeah, and I liked this conversation a lot between Dolores and Maeve, where Dolores is like, you know, you're not the villain. I'm not the villain. You're not a saint. I'm not a saint. We are survivors. You know, it's not. It's not that binary. I think that's something we've been grappling with around Dolores for two seasons now. Is like. Is she meant to be the villain? Is she the villain of the piece? And this conversation challenges us to not put anyone in those quite those boxes. Um, don't put baby in a corner. Don't put Dolores in the villain box. Um, and I'm I'm good with that. Um, the um, and and I I did I I really liked this conversation between the two of them. I like that it's in a simulation because like then they're not like fight you know they're not like yeah. trying to kill each other. They can stop and have like a conversation. Um, and I thought that was really good. And um, if I had to guess, I mean, we, we asked at the end of last week's episode, where are um, Dolores and uh, Caleb headed? Um, my guess would be they're off to Mexico uh, because they have location. I do. Okay. I, I have one last nit to pick around this. And I can't wrap my head around it. Once again, bad writing or Dolores' plan? You tell me. Um, so Charlotte gives Dolores the location of the Inner Journeys facility, which is, uh, I think, Sonora, Mexico, which is a large region. Uh, but apparently she has a latitude, longitude or whatever. Uh, she gives her the location that she got, you know, while all this is going down, right? And she sends it to Dolores. So Dolores now, like, has the location for where Inner Journeys is. But in last week's episode, Connell's is like, hey, Bernard, here's Inner Journeys. This is one of the re-education centers. You should go there. And by the end of this episode, Bernard and Stubbs have shown up at Inner Journeys. So presumably either Connell's knew or Bernard knew where the facility was. So why didn't Dolores already know where the facility was? Yeah, it's a good But I guess like... The, then the Delori can communicate with each other, right? I guess is yeah. the idea. Yeah. Mm. I got no answer for you, Joanna. Yeah, I, d- I don't know. Um, so once again, <laughs> sloppy writing. Uh, w- was that timeline, like, it? you know, was this originally supposed to roll out in a different way? Because we're, pres- we're presumably still watching a concurrent timeline unfold, right? So was it supposed to roll out in a different way or um, or what? But I, I can't really reconcile that. I've been I've been chewing it over and over again. I'm like, because Connell's had to have known where the center was or Bernard had to be able to figure it out. And if Bernard can figure it out, then Dolores Prime certainly can figure it out. So, like, why do they need that protein tracker uh, mm. in William in the first place? You know, so but I assume that that's where Caleb and I mean, it's foolish to assume in Westworld, but I assume that that's where Caleb and Dolores are headed uh, as well. We will find um, out shortly. 
We'll find out shortly. But yeah, overall, solid episode. Um, yeah. And good action and uh, well done overall. Uh, so that's season three, episode six, Decoherence. Uh, you can find more episodes of this podcast at decodingwestworld.com. Email us at decodingwestworld at gmail.com. Thanks to Baby Zhang for editing this episode. And thanks to Simplecast for powering Decoding Westworld this season. Simplecast is the first and last word in podcast management and analytics. Learn more at simplecast.com. Until next week, Joanna Robinson, where can people find more of your work on the internet this week? Uh, you can find me on vanityfair.com. You can hear that conversation I had with Tessa Thompson over on the Still Watching podcast. Uh, you can find me on Twitter where you can send all of your corrections, comments, or concerns uh, at Joe Rothis. And uh, find me on Twitter at Dave Chensky, that's Dave Chensky, and check out my other podcast, Culturally Relevant, at culturallyrelevantshow.com, interviews with filmmakers, artists, and writers. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week. And actually, we're not quite done with the episode yet. Uh, because I stopped recording and then Joanna Robinson said, hey, David, we forgot to talk about this one very important thing. And what is that, Joanna? Uh, well, listen, uh, the title of the episode is Decoherence. Uh, and that comes from a phrase uh, that I am too dim-witted to understand, which is quantum decoherence. But I have read a, a Wikipedia article or two about it. so um, <laughs> oh, That's just as good as studying it. Yeah, I think it is. But please do email me your thoughts on quantum decoherence. But um I I think what it is referenced to is this idea of uh, Charlotte as one a part of a larger entity separating herself from the whole, um, you know, to become her own thing, and and that gesture where she takes off that golden cuff that Dolores has given her is sort of the the moment she does that where she's like I'm I'm deconnecting from the hive, and. I'm going to do what's right for me now. So I think that that's what quantum decoherence refers to in this episode. If you, you know, you could also think about a William separating from the other Williams, if you want. Um, There's maybe a couple different um, options there, but if you have another idea as to why quantum decoherence or decoherence in general would be a good name for this episode, let us know. Decodingwestworld.gmail.com. Maybe we should save episode title discussion for, for this little end Oh, it's here. like a little post-credits. A little post-credit stuff. <laughs> I'm glad it. we've settled on this uh, so early on in the podcast life. <laughs> you got to stay tuned uh, as we thank our, our like the you know the great BD uh, so that you can hear us talk about the episode title. Indeed, indeed. All right. Uh, well, now we're really going away. Goodbye. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 